What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. We're heading for an eviction crisis. The direct cash payments of the CARES Act expire on July 31st, and right now Republicans in Congress are not renewing it or anything like it. That means millions of people won't be able to pay their rent on August 1st, and hundreds of thousands of landlords can evict them unless Congress acts right away. For comment, we turn to Megan Day. She's a staff writer at Jacobin and co-author of Bigger Than Bernie, How We Go From the Sanders Campaign to Democratic Socialism. We reached her today at home in L.A. Hi, Megan. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. Well, first of all, please explain how the CARES Act worked. Yeah, so CARES was a very complicated piece of legislation. It had a bunch of different aspects, a bunch of moving parts. But for our purposes, what we're talking about today is the fact that it authorized a one-time stimulus check to most Americans. You probably got it. Um, And then it authorized on top of that weekly unemployment payments of $600 per week. And that was on top of also state unemployment benefits. And that has tided millions of Americans over during this turbulent time. In many ways, it's actually, um, I think, helpfully and positively masked the depth of the economic crisis that we're actually in. And the problem with that, of course, that's a good thing, but the problem with it is that once it expires, we're about to realize the trouble that we're in. Mostly the important part was the direct cash payments, but wasn't there also a moratorium on evictions? So CARES authorized a moratorium on evictions from most federally and publicly subsidized housing, you know, HUD, Section 8, and so on. And that is really critical, and a lot of people have benefited from that. But of course, most renters simply rent their place on the private market. Some places have never put eviction moratoriums in place, but there are several states and cities that have placed moratoriums on evictions. That, again, has helped tide people over, but many of them are under threat of expiration or they've already expired. So, for example, just in the last few weeks, we've seen a tug of war in New York over whether or 
not this um, this eviction moratorium was really going to expire. And of course, housing rights groups estimated that if it did expire, 60,000 cases were going to turn up in New York City's housing courts virtually overnight. That's been um, that's been halted for now, but it's very much on the chopping block. And meanwhile, in California, Governor Newsom authorized local governments to place a moratorium on evictions if they want to, and several cities have, including here in Los Angeles. But of course, it's completely up to municipal discretion. I should say also that lifting these eviction moratoriums in the places that have had them is one of the levers that cities and states can pull to force the economy to reopen if they want to do that, because people who were previously scared to go into work are now more scared to lose their homes. And this dissolves resistance and changes popular opinion about reopening the economy. So you've seen that in places like Texas, which did have an, a statewide eviction moratorium, and the Texas Supreme Court, which of course Texas state government wants to reopen, right? So they went ahead and they um, they repealed that eviction moratorium. And you started to see in cities like Houston, suddenly uh, all of these cases started heading to the housing court. So it's, it's a pretty scary prospect. Just to stick with the CARES Act for one more minute, how successful were the direct uh, payments? Did it help enough people? Uh, they were extraordinarily successful. So researchers at Columbia University have estimated that an additional 12 million people would have been plunged into poverty without these CARES Act unemployment payments and the stimulus check. And then there was a separate study actually that found, if you can believe this, that poverty rates actually fell during April and May, due in large part to the fact that the unemployment assistance, which isn't much, exceeds what most of the eligible recipients were earning because the people who are most likely to lose their jobs are working in low wage sectors. And yeah, I think that's more than anything, it's an indictment on the low wages in our society. So I think to your second question, I think it could have helped more people through a great, greater variety of mechanisms, but it's certainly been critical to keeping people afloat during this coronavirus pandemic and during the consequent economic shutdown. So right now, the House has passed a successor bill. They call it the HEROES Act, but the Republican-controlled Senate has done nothing if nothing comes out of Congress in the next two weeks, what will happen on August 1st? The mass procession of um, eviction claims in housing courts. It's going to be total chaos. I think it's important to stop and look at who rents and how vulnerable they are. I mean, this is a this is in, in a double or even a triple crisis for renters. So renters are obviously they're giving their money over to a landlord on a monthly basis in order to have a roof over their head. In addition to that, they are in this situation for the most part because they can't afford a home, which means that they're already low wage workers and low wage workers are exactly the people who are on the chopping block when it comes to unemployment from the uh, shutdown. And then if you want to add a third crisis to this, and I do think that we should, these are also renters, low-wage workers are the same people who are least likely to have decent health insurance to begin with. And they're also the people who, when they lose their employment, are being thrown off of their employer-sponsored health insurance if they had decent employment, decent insurance to begin with. And so, you know, now they're, they're in a situation where they're either uninsured or they're paying out of pocket for um, medical care in the middle of a public health crisis. So this is a triple crisis for working class people. And um, evictions are only the tip of the iceberg. But I do think that we should be paying 
uh, specific attention to evictions because of how intense the crisis actually looks from a renter's perspective. So there's an analysis that found that 6.7 million households have simultaneously experienced job loss in the last few months and our rent burden. Rent burden means that they're paying 30% of their household income to cover rent. But in addition to that, or of these, 3.4 million households are severely rent burdened, which means that they're paying 50% of their income to cover rent. And they've also, you know, and have also been impacted by job loss. So that means that if there's, if the eviction moratorium is lifted and or if the unemployment benefits cease, these people are going to get thrown out into the street. I mean, we're looking at potentially, potentially millions of people actually facing homelessness. So what's in this democratic bill that passed the House, the HEROES Act? How, how good is it? Does it do enough? Well, it's pretty good. I mean, it's not it's not perfect, and I'll explain that in a moment. But I, I also don't want to let the perfect be the enemy of the good in a situation like this one, because people are, you know, living hand to mouth at the moment. So it extends unemployment through uh, January thirty first, twenty twenty one, which is critical. It also provides rental and mortgage assistance, which, you know, I think that uh, the eviction moratoria are, are probably better. A federal, a federal eviction moratorium that didn't just apply to federally subs subsidized housing would probably be preferable, but still, rental and mortgage assistance is nothing to sneeze at. And then on top of that, actually, they added in a debt collection freeze, which frankly, that's not going to make it through the Republican-controlled Senate. Um, but that is something that the American working class desperately needs. So it was a relief in some ways to see it in there, though I highly doubt that it'll pass through. Um, it also provides a bigger stimulus check. So under the new legislation, each member of a household would receive $1,200, and that includes children. It's up to a $6,000 per household max. And it sets, it sets aside $200 billion for hazard pay for essential workers, which is also something that progressives and those on the left were very insistent uh, be provided to essential workers. So it's it, it's full of good steps in the right direction. And, and all of that stuff that I mentioned is necessary to implement. A lot of it is probably not going to be implemented because Republicans are salivating to cut this thing down uh, as much as they possibly can. At the same time, it's actually not enough also, even though it's it's good and we need to pass it. So Bernie Sanders and others have been talking about the necessity of $2,000 a month at least for every American and not another one-time payment. And this is not just for unemployed people. This is just this, this is just sensible for the cost of living to tide us over through this difficult time. We need cash infusions into the American working class in order to keep everything afloat. Essentially, we're trying to freeze the economy instead of sort of closing it down and opening it back up in this bizarre oscillating fashion and allowing people to get sick and die while we're doing that. We want to actually use our public money to put a hold on the economy, to freeze it in place until we can get a vaccine. And this is the kind of strategy that Bernie Sanders and others on the left have been pushing for in Congress. And it's not going anywhere. It seems like, you know, that has that idea has been uh, thrown out. And now we're proceeding with this pretty good, but uh, not still inadequate bill, which even even in its inadequate state is going to be whittled down by Senate Republicans. So what do Republicans in the Senate want? Surely they understand that direct cash payments provide a stimulus to business. 
Well, Mitch McConnell and other Senate Republicans have declared the HEROES Act a dead on arrival in the Senate, and they've called it a liberal wish list and said that it's, you know, it's uh, all pork fat and this and that, uh, like they always do for pretty much everything. To answer your question, this is one of the puzzling things about the modern Republican Party. It, it's it's so much a party of capital that it sometimes bends over backwards to make sure that the segments of the capitalist class that are Republican aligned have everything they want whenever they want it, which is actually a danger to the, the entire capitalist system, right? It sort of threatens to undermine and capsize the capitalist system. And of course, the Democrats are more subtle about this. The Democrats are essentially devoted to the project of maintaining capitalism, which requires concessions, right? And for those of us on the socialist left, obviously, we think that we can transcend capitalism, but you can see that there are three wildly different approaches. And the Republican approach is a, a more, more or less suicidal pro-capitalist approach. I want to talk explicitly about the COVID-19 pandemic, which you've kind of mentioned in passing a couple of times. We know that it's out of control, especially in the states that opened up, as we say. We know that Black people and Latinos and poor people in general are much more likely to get the virus and die from it than white people. Uh, what's the relationship between these direct cash payments and the spread of COVID-19? Without the cash payments, without adequate cash payments, and then additionally, like, like we talked about before, the eviction moratoria, people are going to be clamoring to go back to work. People who are scared of you know, getting coronavirus and dying of COVID-19 are still going to be clamoring to go back to work because they, under the threat of economic coercion, their resistance is going to melt away. So this is going to cause, obviously, everything to open up prematurely. That's going to cause more contact between individuals. That's going to cause people to get sick. It's going to cause people to die. And in many cases, it's not just going to affect, you know, it's not going to affect people equally across the board. In many cases, the same people who are who were threatened by eviction if they didn't scrounge up some money somehow are precisely the people who are going to be put into contact with the public when they're sent back to work and they're going to be the people who are going to get sick. And then also additionally, and this is an important point, that a lot of these people, and we're talking about just poor people in general, poor and working class people, um, because of our healthcare system and because of the fact that they don't have access to regular preventative care and because of the fact that poverty takes a toll on the body, have underlying health conditions that actually make them more susceptible to serious illness or death if they do contract coronavirus. So like I said before, this is a triple threat. And um, ultimately, you're right. This is going to fall on the shoulders of the poor and the working class, which of course in our society means people of color, um, and it's um, and there are, and the you know professional the professional class, in which you know the sort of professional even the professional echelons of the working class, uh, many of us are going to be allowed to stay at home and work at home through the crisis. That means that we're going to be shielded. We also tend to be the people who are able to cover our rent in the event of a sudden loss of income, and we are also the same people who have access to decent health insurance. So you can see that essentially reopening the economy is a death sentence for the people who are already living on the edge in our society. Well, now it's time for News You Can Use, a special feature of this program. If you can't pay your rent on August 1st, or if you know people who are going to have trouble paying their rent on August 1st, that does not mean that you or they have to move out on August 1st. Don't just leave there's a lot of things that you can do 
eviction is a long legal process and you don't actually have to move out until there's been a legal finding against you and an official officer of the law arrives to carry out an order of eviction. You can stay that long. And in the meantime, you should try to negotiate with your landlord. Landlords are often in debt too on their property. And if they can't make their payments, they're going to lose their properties to banks or somebody else. So maybe you can negotiate delayed payments, reduced payments, postponed payments. And it helps to get a lawyer because lawyers cost landlords money and landlords don't like to spend money. Fighting eviction is going to become a big thing in America on August 1st. And there's a lot of ways to fight eviction. It's not exactly a socialist program, but it's certainly a kind of intermediate program, wouldn't you say? I, I would, and I think it's also important for people to know that there are tenants' rights organizations in most major cities. They're not everywhere throughout the United States, but you should look and see if there's a tenants' rights organization near where you live, because they can fill you in on the details. They can help you understand your options. Landlords are often banking on the fact that you don't actually know what your options are. In a lot of places, and especially, for example, in California, um, there are, you know, halfway decent renter protection laws. It's just that landlords are relying on the fact that people don't actually know how they work and don't know that they can actually turn to them. And so when they give you an eviction notice, you move out and you don't try to fight back. And that's what they want. So, uh, you know, call up a tenants' rights organization and uh, see if they can help plug you in, um, give you a sense of your options. And if you know other people who are facing eviction, make sure that they have this information ready as well. So that's our news you can use segment for this week. But the housing crisis is going to continue. And we need to also think big. What do you think we need to go to make progress in the housing crisis? In general, to make progress in the housing crisis, the gold standard for me as a socialist, and I'm a member of the Democratic Socialists of America, so this is the perspective advanced from that corner of our um, political spectrum, it, the gold standard is social housing. It, is we need to uh, you know, invest public money in building mixed income social housing that people want to live in. Instead of building terrible public housing that is um, you know, neglected and unpleasant to inhabit and uh, you know, starving funding for it under the guise of actually, as Ben Carson, as, as um, HUD chief, put it to try to give people the kick in the ass that they need to, to go make something of themselves, this kind of punitive relationship to public housing is, is not something that we want in public housing. We wanna, we wanna spend public money to make beautiful social housing that people want to live in. Uh, we can also design these in, in ways that are you know, community oriented. Obviously the very, very gold standard would be if you were to look, for example, at, at, at the example of Red Vienna, this was the sort of interwar Viennese uh, social housing. I mean, they had nurseries and libraries and communal laundries and schools. And you, know, you can create real communities out of public housing, out of social housing. Um, that's something that we should be looking toward in the long term, but in the near term, just using public money to build social housing to offset the housing crisis is really critical. Megan Day, she wrote about the coming pandemic-induced eviction crisis for Jacobin. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, John.
You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.